Good morning and welcome to Community Church. Well, I want to read a passage to you out of Psalms 84. I think we're familiar with this one. It says, How lovely is your dwelling place, O Lord Almighty. I long, yes, I faint with longing to enter the courts of the Lord. With my whole being, body, and soul, I will shout joyfully to the living God. Can we say hallelujah? Can we say hallelujah? Hallelujah. This is the God we're serving today. He is a good God. Amen? So if you're visiting today, we're glad you're here. Our prayer is that God would touch your heart right where you're at. If this is your home church, I pray today would be a new day. That today God would touch you in a way he's never touched you, but that you would also come to a new place in your journey with him. Amen? So today we're going to worship Him. Today we're going to draw close to Him. Why? Because He's good. Why? Because He deserves it. Because He's holy. Because He's amazing. Because He's awesome. So let's just raise our hands right now. Father God, we are coming into Your house today to say, You are a good God. And we choose to honor you. We choose to worship you because we love you. And so, Father, this morning, have your way in this place. We just invite you to have your way in this place. In Jesus' name, let's worship with him this morning. Father, we declare today we want you. Lord, we want you more than anything else. We say it's your life. Your life in the midst of us. Your life in our hearts. Your love manifest in the songs. You are the root, the wellspring of life. You know, as we come to the end of our worship, one of the things that's becoming clearer and clearer for us is that at the end of the day, it's all about Him. It's all about Him. And all across this land, there are churches just like this one, where people are singing songs, they're going through a routine, and in some places there's absolutely no life at all, and people are vacating those buildings, and they're not coming back, and they could be singing the very same songs, they could have the very same doctrine. Because it's not about what we're doing. It's about whether he comes or not. And he comes based on what are we really looking for. What is it we're longing for in this moment? What are we reaching into? Is the room all we're seeing? The flags, the music, is that what we're interacting? Or are we really reaching beyond, beyond the veil and touching an eternal God? The presence of God that's manifested in churches across the nations is not dependent upon whether God wants to come or doesn't want to come. It depends on what the people are reaching for. So right now, if you're watching online or you're here in the room, we're reaching God to you. We say, Lord, you are the answer. It's you we long for. It's you we long for. It's you we need. It's you, Jesus. 
We worship you. We worship you, Prince of Peace, Mighty God. We worship you. I want to say that whatever you're missing in your life, Jesus is the answer. If you're tired and weary, He can be the flame inside of you, the fire inside of you. If you're stressed and on the edge and your life is filled with strife and confusion, He is the Prince of Peace. He is the Prince of Peace. There's a dichotomy in our worship today, and I don't want us to be distracted by anything that's just in this room because we're, we're reaching past the veil. And when the church stops reaching past the veil, the nations stop noticing. When you're walking down the street or you're driving in Spruce Grove and you go by the, the superstore at the end of town and, and that big Canadian flag is up there and the wind is howling and the wind is blowing and that, that super huge flag is just extended. Nobody points and says, look at the flag. They point and say, look at the wind. Look at the wind. Because there's two things happening. Yeah, there is a flag. But the flag is only representative of what your eyes cannot see. And there's two types of people. There's the ones that are looking at the flag here. The sound. The worship. The words. And those that are seeing behind the veil. The life of God. The beauty of the Most High and the Ancient of Days. The splendor of the Risen One. Jesus. Jesus. We declare Jesus Christ crucified and risen. We declare resurrection life. King of kings, Lord of lords. We worship you, Jesus. Hey. Hey. Jesus. So we say, Father... We pray for your people all across the earth in meetings like this one, God, that we would, we would touch you. Could we take the next couple of minutes and reach into the heart of God like never before? Open your mouths. Open your hearts. Pull on, the, pull on him. Lord, we need you. We want you. You know that song? didn't just get suddenly more beautiful. We began to connect in a more intimate way with him. And the song was just the vessel, but the song seemed to get more wonderful. But the song didn't change. What changed was our worship. Father, we want to manifest your glory. So God, we say, teach us how to pray and teach us how to worship, Lord. Ah. Lord, seal this time. Increase the bandwidth of your presence in our midst, God, by increasing our capacity to connect with you. You're so wonderful. And everybody said, Amen. You know, I tell this story, and I've told it before, but years ago, this fellow went to a charismatic church, had never been there before. He's from a more conservative background. He said, his friend who invited him said, how did you like it? He said, uh, he said well, they, they sang one song 12 times. 
12 times. I'm thinking, you know, after four or five, like we got it already. And as I'm saying that, I'm thinking, you know, you obviously don't get it, and I can't even explain it to you. But worship is about transcending the song. You're not worshiping the song. You're not even just singing the song. You're interacting with consummate beauty through the song. It's like somebody who spent, you know, what, you spent, what, two hours on the, on the telephone? You just stood there with the telephone for two hours? You didn't want to change that up? Well, there was something coming through the telephone. I wasn't interacting with the telephone. I was interacting with somebody on the other side. The telephone is not that interesting. But the person on the other side is. The song is not really that interesting. But the one on the other side of it is. Are you connecting with somebody on the other side of the song? Or are you just holding something up to your ear? Worship in spirit and truth. Oh God. Something's about to break open this year in worship in the church. People are going to become awakened to a reality of worship in the church. Churches, pastors, leaders, people who are, you're still holding on to your faith, but you're dry, you're broken, you don't know why. But life is coming back into your worship this year in Jesus' name. What I saw this morning in pre-service prayer was I saw paralyzed bodies. And what the deal is, is that there's electrical signals going through the nervous system, but it's just not connecting with the muscles. But what would happen if all of a sudden it did? That's what I saw. And so, Holy Spirit, for each of these ones who have put up their hands, who said, I don't feel like I'm hearing you the way that I should, I pray that you would remove paralysis. I pray that connections with the Holy Spirit would be established. I pray that your voice would begin to be clear. I pray in Jesus' name for a healing body, mind, soul, spirit, whatever it takes, that paralysis would come off, that numbness would come off in Jesus' name. We speak life into your people, God. Your sheep hear your voice. Your people respond to your spirit. And so we declare the beginning of new things, the beginning of faith, the beginning of hope, the beginning of obedience, the beginning of walking in the spirit, the beginning of responding to God, the beginning of new things in Jesus' name. Believers moving in faith, responding to the Holy Ghost because that's what they're made for. Hallelujah. I'd love to touch on those two pictures about the worship, but I do have something else to talk about. But I'm telling you, it's not by accident that Jesus said, the Father seeks such as worship him in spirit and truth. And of course, everybody, everybody who doesn't, is not musical and doesn't like music or doesn't sing and everything, sometimes we, not everybody, but some people say, well, you know, it's not the only important thing. Well, tell that to Jesus. All right. But he established worship as a barometer of other things. Your capacity to worship is a reflection of other things. Now, worship goes beyond, beyond what we do with words and music and dance and lifting our hands. You know, our, your giving, for example, is a form of worship. But, but worship, devotion, centeredness on Him is, is reflected in what we do here in this moment and the rest of the worship that proceeds from the rest of our life is, is coming out of that same capacity. So, so let's not dismiss this. Oh, yeah, the creative musical people, artistic, you know, guys, that's for them. All do this other thing. 
No, do the other thing and this. Right? Right? Getting back to the central point. When we're worshiping, we're touching the eternal. When we're worshiping in spirit and in truth, we are transcending the natural realm. That's why when you get into the spirit, suddenly time seems to... All of a sudden, half an hour is gone. You just, oh, it seemed like minutes. We say, well, that's not my experience. All right, then. So transcend time. Step into the Spirit. Well, I don't know how. You, it's in you to do it. Are there challenges? There are total challenges. Are your challenges the same as somebody else's? No. Everybody has different challenges around this, but we're all called to that same thing. You know, in, one, in some ways, we're very different as believers. We have anointings, callings, administrations, gifts, et cetera, et cetera. And, and those, you know, we, fa- we faithfully execute those things by the grace of God. But in some ways, we're uniformly the same. And, uh, and we cannot negate those places. And worship is one of those uh, in order to justify, well, I'm just not good at it, or, or, or. So, Father, we pray today. That, uh, that your template of what it means to be a son and a daughter of the Most High, your template, your idea of what you imagined, what you saw, when you connected us in with yourself, that's who we want to be. And so, Father, any individualism, any, any uh, pride, any flag-waving of our own particular strength or virtue or what we do well, that, that stands in competition to your identity, Father, we we say we want to lay it down in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, so two weeks ago, I began to talk about a theme, uh, the language of which is entering God's rest, or entering His rest. And so two weeks ago, I began talking about it, and I, I started by talking about how really it's a metaphor for two kingdoms. It's a metaphor for two governmental systems, and, and that we have the option to draw from God's system of government, God's presence, God, the administration of, that flows out of who God is. There's power in that. There's life in that. And, and rest is what you get when you're drawing entirely from that world. And so we're talking about the fact that, that we have this option to pull from the strength of God or pull from other sources. And so we see this imagery played out through the scripture. For example, uh, I think it's the prophet Jeremiah that was saying, saying, you know, you've, you've committed, uh, committed two sins, but he's, and he starts talking about those sins, but he says, he says you've actually forsaken the Lord, uh, the well of life, the stream of life, the source of life, and you are drinking from cisterns of your own making. And that picture there is really what we're talking about when we're talking about entering God's rest. We're talking about, now are you saved or not saved? No, 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 that's, that's completed. When you confess the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior, when you become born again, when you receive him and the Holy Spirit, you're saved. But how easy is life? How hard is life? Uh, you know, is there toil and confusion and brokenness constantly? That depends on which fountain you drink from. And so we, of course, would say, 
Well, obviously then, I want to drink from the fountain of life. I want to drink from him. And so that's our disposition. We begin that way. But it's not as easy as just saying, I want this. Because there are defaults. There are, there are inclinations. There's iniquity in our life. There are things that God must deal with that keep bringing us back like, like a dog to vomit. Well, isn't there a better picture? No, I think that's a pretty good one. That's a pretty good one. And then, you know... Well, is it really that bad? I mean, I mean, what if, what if somebody out of their own strength does something really nice? Dead works. It's not alive. Anything that does not come from him does not have resurrection life. It has the appearance of godliness, but no power. Because at the core, there's a reason why we prefer to drink from the well of our own strength. And it's because we don't believe that there's actual value in who God is. At the core of your heart, that's, that's the reasoning. Man. Father, I pray that that spirit of revelation would open up. That even, Lord, as many of us know scriptures, Father, I pray that those scriptures would just come alive in our hearts. Lord, the scripture about faith, how it takes faith to please God. For a man must believe that he is, and he's a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Father, I pray that we would be a people who would connect intimately, increasingly intimately with you, and that we would the manifestation of our lives would be the manifestation of your life at work in us. And so last week I was talking about some of this, and I was talking about the challenge of being a Christian and how, you know, when you, when you come in and you're trying to be good, you think, you know, wow, that's, 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 tough, to be, that's tough to be good. Because I'm not good. And so what God is trying to say, listen, I, I don't need you to be good. I want you to tap into my goodness. Well, isn't that the same as needing to be good? Well, yes, in a roundabout way. It's, yeah, you, you have to produce goodness, but it's just not coming from you. It's like, like that flag blowing in the wind. It's the wind that's providing all the propulsion. The flag is just the flag. And so you are just a vessel, and God is saying, I have life that can be at work in you that can produce righteousness. And so we were talking, I just touched on it, that the frustration of believers, because we have this idea of what, what I need to be, and we're trying hard to live up to that measure of what it means to be a good Christian, and then somebody comes along and raises the bar. And we, get, we say, well, you're never happy enough, you're never good enough. Why? It's not about you. And if, if you're doing that in your own strength, let me, let me say you're free from that. That's not what God wants. Well, what does he want? He wants you to die. Die what? Die. He wants you to lose confidence that there's any value in anything that comes out of you. Now, I'm just kind of touching on some of the, the high water marks of some of the thoughts that that hopefully over the next few months we're going to get to, to a number of these because this is a fairly an in-depth teaching, but, but I want to touch on some of the elementary things about faith today. Two weeks ago, I was saying the promise and the, the language we get is from, from uh, Hebrews chapter 3 and 4, but the language is about the promise. And so I was telling you that God had taken Israel out of slavery in Egypt 
and was bringing them to what he called a land flowing with milk and honey. And the promise that he'd given them says, listen, you're going to go from slavery where all of your life is toil. You're under bondage. You're, you have taskmasters. They're cruel. It's ugly. You're, everything is limited. You have no capacity for creativity, for your, your own life, your own destiny, none of that stuff. I'm going to take you to a land that's going to be your own. And I'm going to take you to a land that's already, it's like ready to move in. It's a turnkey operation. There's going to be fields. There's going to be farms. There's going to be, there's going to be vineyards. There's going to be cities. There's going to be houses. And you don't have to pay for it. And it's a picture of working out of your own strength and trying to make some good in this world versus stepping into a kind of a paradise. And so God is inviting us as individuals to be set free from the striving to try to make our own lives workable, useful, and to step into the destiny of what he can bring to us. Now, let me, let me, let me show you how ingrained this striving is. And I'll, I'll get to Hebrews 3 and 4. I know some of you are thinking, are you going to touch it this week? <laughs> so I mentioned it last two weeks ago and never read the scripture. But, but when I was a young boy... You may think, well, this is not even possible. But when I was a young boy, maybe you, maybe you identify with this. I don't know. When I was a young boy, at, at five years old, I was already anxious about life. I was already anxious about uh, not just my life, my, my little life, but I was already looking forward. We, we would go out to these, these junkyards, uh, and I would find furniture, and we would try and put together a, a few things. And I think, well, if worse comes to worse, I could always live here. I mean, that was my mindset. I thought, I thought you know... If push comes to shove, you're five years old. How, how are you thinking this at five years old? You still have parents. That, I, the, the anxiety of life was already deeply at work driving me to have to succeed and perform correctly for the world around me. And it was already too much pressure for me. Already at five years old, it was too much pressure for me. I remember at one point I ended up in the hospital in junior high and they couldn't figure out what was wrong with me. And the doctor said to my dad, he said, uh, said, um, it's stress-related. And I'm thinking, uh, yeah, I'm under a lot of stress. And he says, uh, he, said to, he said to me, my dad really loved me, and he didn't realize, and often we don't realize what kind of pressure we put on one another. But I, he said to me, what's causing you stress? I'm thinking, I'm looking at him. <laughs> I am definitely afraid of you. In my whole life, I'm panicked. I'm already panicked, but you're not helping. And uh, so I said, school. School is giving me pressure. Because one of the ways I felt I struggled to perform was in school. And so from that point on, my dad stopped pressuring me in that way about school. The interesting thing is my marks began to get better from that point. And right in that experience itself, there was almost a microcosm of how the striving itself and the pressure itself causes us to to collapse. So Jesus came and he said, all you who are weary and heavy laden, is is there stress? Do you wonder where the money's coming from for next month and next year? Are you already thinking about retirement and it's 40 years away? Are you, are, you, are you thinking, well, I wish I had my house paid off? I mean, there was, 
my whole life has been one stress after another. And I was always living in the future. I just can't wait when this happens. I just can't wait when this happens. I just can't wait when this happens. And you know what? There's always something else after that happens. So you never feel like you get anywhere. I didn't. And the Lord says, do you know that you could have a sense of arrival and the peace that comes with it and the tranquility of not, not being anxious about the future or right now? Well, how do I do that? How about starting to believe that I love you? How about starting to believe that I have a plan for your life? How about starting to believe that every good and perfect gift comes from above, from the Father of lights, in whom there's no variableness of change, no shadow of turning? Oh, oh I thought I had to work for all that. No, no, no. You have to be diligent, but I, I'm the one at the end of the day that supplies. And it's not your effort and your strength that unlocks it. Your effort and your strength, what you're learning, Mark, is that your effort and strength brings meager returns compared to if I open my hand. If I just open my hand, I can satisfy the need of every living thing. Every living thing. If God just looks at a nation and said, if you, pl- if you please me, if you actually believe that I'm good, you, you start to open my hand. Faith opens the hand of God. Do you know why the Western, Western nations are so wealthy? Because of the tradition and the history and the foundations of faith. It's because we're not looking to our effort to do things. We believe in a God that's providential and is good. And so we're reaching through our efforts, past our own efforts, to him, and he blesses our labor. And all of a sudden, instead of getting this much returns, we get this much returns for the same amount of effort. That's rest. Where you're doing the same things, but you're getting a hundred times the yield. Why? Because he's opening his hand and satisfying the need of every living thing. There's no reason why nations should be impoverished. I don't think anybody believes that. There's no reason why any nation should be impoverished. The only reasons why nations are impoverished is because of the lack of worship. Worship connects us to the source of life. When, when God is worshipped, he begins to breathe on a land. He begins to breathe on the minds and the souls of the people in the land. They begin to envision possibilities. We talk about the, the, the Protestant work ethic that came out of the, the Reformation. You ever heard that term, the Protestant work ethic? Did suddenly people start to work harder that time and they never worked before? Well, they didn't work as hard maybe, but the reason was because they had no hope. The Protestant work ethic emerged out of hope. It emerged because people began to see a connection. Wow, I, I find that when I do this, I get this. I know I'm not getting to the scripture yet. We're getting there. We're going there. We're going there. I, mean, I, was, in, uh, I was in Dubai, and I was flying from Dubai to Bangladesh, and there was all these Bangladesh workers. And I, and I was thinking, you know, in terms of a, an impoverished people, I'm looking. The whole time I was in Bangladesh, I thought, these poor people, there's a spirit in the air that's crushing the hope and the life out of them. I mean, generations of sin and idolatry and uh, godlessness is actually crushing the people. They They are a fraction of what a regular normal person is here in terms of hope and possibilities. I mean, I had to let three or four people out of the bathroom. You think, what does that have to do with anything? They couldn't figure out how to open the, the, the door. We think, well, isn't that an issue of intelligence? Every 
good and perfect gift comes from above. Problem solving, vision, spirit of understanding and wisdom to see how things work. That all comes from God. You see, we've grown up in an atmosphere where there's a certain amount of knowledge and understanding just in the air by virtue of faith. God has breathed upon this land and we are, we are living in the residual amounts of that. And so we just think, well, this is a normal ability. This cognitive capacity I have to look around the world and see how it works, this is just being human. No, it isn't. It isn't human. I've seen human. Human is far less. It goes, it's darker than you could ever imagine or think. Light, the ability to think, the ability to put two and two together, the ability to deduce that if I do this, it's going to result in this action. If I do this consistently, it's going to result in this kind of lifestyle. That's wisdom and that's understanding and that comes from him. So God is saying, faith opens a door of provision for nations, for individuals, for churches. And God is sitting there and saying, I have everything you need. Everything you need. Wow. Now, I could get into a, a lot of that. There's a few more things. I can give you some practical examples, but, but uh, we'll leave that for now. And, uh, you know, what, what missions is about is about connecting people to the God of faith, not just sending money over there. Because... There's treasure. I, mean, I, I was speaking in a conference, and there's a guy. There was a guy. I'm trying to remember which country is a South Af- is part of South Af- not South Africa, the nation, but Southern Africa, the continent. And in his nation, there was rabid uh, unemployment. It was, I mean, it was corruption. Things were awful. And he had a large church, several thousand people. He said, he said, there's like 50 percent unemployment in my city. In my church, there's about five percent. Oh, fancy that. You happen to be able to draw in all the employed people. (laughs) No, no, no. He said, in my church, people believe they know that jobs come from God, that favor comes from God, that abilities to do the job correctly comes from God. And when you honor that line, you create a trajectory of blessing between you and the heavenly Father who opens his hand and, has, and can satisfy the need of every living thing. And that can happen in any place in the world. Now, are there challenges in other places that we don't have? Absolutely. Yeah, the economics, the, I mean, the corruption, the, you know, from organized crime to, polit- to political corruption, on and on and on. Yeah, there are barriers. But, but this is what God is trying to deal with in our hearts for people of faith. And same thing he tried to deal with with me. He said, listen, Mark. Nothing is impossible to him that believes. Nothing is impossible to who? To you that believe. Yet you that believe and has good financial connections. You that believe and has, knows a lot of wealthy people who are movers and shakers. No, he's saying, he's saying, Mark, I can open a door that no man can shut. I can do that. Now, these are things that we presumably know. But we know them at a distance. We know them in a relative way. We know them in a way often that we're not ever actually challenged to have to believe them for our welfare. But still you do. What sustains industry, what sustains economies in this world is faith. 
God breathes upon a nation. And creativity, possibilities begin to arise. Protestant work ethic was God breathing on a generation because they'd come into faith and all of a sudden that ceiling of hopelessness, that dark, crushing atmosphere that was over them that said, this is your lot in life. You shall not advance beyond this line. Anybody did advance. We're always only the most intelligent, the most gifted, the, most, the, the, the ones with the most uh, creative ability, but, but it was just few and far between. The masses were stuck under uh, a weight of heaviness that suppressed and crushed them. The Protestant work ethic was a manifestation of faith that suddenly connected a host of people to God the God who can supply. And suddenly that life began to generate something in them, ideas, abilities. And out of that life, suddenly as they began to do what they, what they could do, they were just blessed. Are you guys with me? Yeah. So God's challenge to us is basically this, same as challenge as Israel. He said, listen, I need you to believe me. I need you to believe. So he says, we're gonna, we're gonna, I'm going to take you to this land, land flowing with milk and honey and all that. We'll go there, and I'm going to give that to you. And they're like, oh, this is going to be so great. We're gonna, we get to the land, and we say, okay, a few of you go in first and check it out. So 10 of them go in, right? You remember the 10 spies, Joshua and Caleb were two of them. They go in, and they're like, they come back. They're, they're freaking giants there. These are warriors. They're walled cities. Like, what are you talking about? I'm giving you a land. We can't do this. He said, no, I'm giving it to you. Yeah, but between here and there, there's all this. Yeah, well, that, just believe me. Easy for you to say. We're like grasshoppers in their eyes. And say, no, 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 you don't understand. It's not about you. It's not about your military ability. It's not about your strength as a people. It's not about your history. It's not about anything. I'm giving this to you. Yeah, but it looks like you're not. I mean, if you could just like lightning bolts, you know, we'll stand back a couple of miles and just, you know, do that. And then we'll go in. He said, no, I want us. I want this to be you, you and I, hand in hand, Israel. We're going to walk this together. I'm going to say, do this. You guys do that. And I'll take care of the enemy. Yeah, I don't know, man. We just spent 40 years in slavery, and the way it works is if you lose a battle, you become slaves to that people. Do I believe this supernatural dynamic of grace and favor and God doing things enough that I'm going to walk in without any military training to attack giants in walled cities with the possibility that I could just end up where I just came from? Yeah, not so sure about that. Unbelief. Unbelief. God was so angry. It says faith pleases God. And God was angry with them, except for the two that had a different spirit. They were connected. No, no, come on, guys. We can do this. God is with us. Oh, what are we going to do? Are we going to send the musicians ahead? And, you know, their sound will just, you know, what kind of military strategy is that? You know, give us a workable plan, at least. Something that's, 
that's measured and within our reach. Good grief. Why? So you can depend on your strength? Yeah. We'd like that. That'd be great. You know, I mean, a little bit of you and a lot of us. But here's the problem with that. You see, see, the one who puts the strength in gets the glory. I want this to be my strength so it can be my glory. If it's your strength, then you feel like you did it. Then you don't say, well, every good and perfect gift comes from above. But man, did we pay a high price. Boy, I was getting up early. I was fighting the devil. I was pushing. And I, you know, without my diligence, without my effort, without my convictions, without my worship, without me at the center. I mean, God did a little bit. You know, I would say maybe 99%, 1%. We did most of the work. But you know, God showed up and that was great. And actually, the, re- the reality is, no, you show up and everything else is done. But you don't even have faith to show up. So they had to wander for a few more years in the wilderness. And that's kind of a picture of people's spiritual lives. God said, I've got a great plan for you. Uh, you're going to die. I'm going to resurrect you. <laughs> And you're going to walk in all this kingdom stuff. And uh, let's go back to the beginning. What's that dying part? So that's, that's the backdrop of this thing, entering God's rest, is, is we're entering something that is achieved through simple obedience, but through the power of God at work before us. But you have to believe that he's not lying. He's not setting you up. Wow. I'm not sure I can trust this. I don't really trust anybody. So, here's the scenario. Hebrews 3. Hebrews writer is saying, listen. He said, what the journey that Israel had, what they were promised in entering into God's rest, that's kind of like what you've gotten. You... You have the rest of God, the power of God that comes from God at work and working on your behalf. So you do tiny little acts of obedience and God God causes a multiplication beyond your imagination. But here's the thing, you have to believe him. And furthermore, to the degree that you don't, you'll have to strive in your own effort. To the degree that you do, you'll prosper and be at ease. And so there's an ever-increasing amount of rest and a diminishing amount of striving in your life over the next period of time. It's all centered on whether you believe or not. Okay, sounds good. So verse 7 of chapter 3, I'll start there. He says, therefore, as the Holy Spirit says today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. In the day of trial in the wilderness where your fathers tested me. They tried me. And saw my works for 40 years. Therefore I was angry with that generation and said they always go astray in their heart. And they have not known my ways. So I swore in my wrath, they shall not enter my rest. 
I swore in my breath, they, they are not going to inherit the promise because they don't believe. Because they don't believe, they're going to stand outside the promised land. They get really close to it, but they cannot enter. Close enough to smell it, close enough to see it, close enough to taste it. But they will not themselves participate in it. Of course, except for Caleb and Joshua. So, well, that's, that's great. Verse 12, then he says, listen, beware, brethren, Christians, believers, servants of the Most High, beware, lest there be in any of you, get this, an evil heart of unbelief in departing from the living God. But exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. If we have become partakers of Christ, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast to the end. That's a great verse for super grace people. You know what super grace people are? It doesn't matter what you do. For we have become partakers of Christ if, if we hold the beginning of our confidence steadfast unto the end. That we don't faint, that we, we keep believing, and therefore we, we live as though we believe, of course. But he, he's warning them, saying, listen, the same way that they didn't inherit, inherit their destiny, their promises, the danger of the same thing is happening and hanging in front of you. Yeah, but you don't understand. There are people that want to kill us. There's people that don't like us in Jerusalem. There's, there's the, the, the whole Jewish system is against us. Yeah, but it, I'm here. God's like, I'm here. I can throw over, overthrow governments. I can make a way where there is no way. Nothing's impossible to him that believes. I can open my hand and satisfy the need of every living thing. And so I have all of this resource that you could bring down on your situation. So bring it down. Well, how do we do that? Believe. You mean there's a direct correlation between me believing and the life that I enter? Precisely. Yeah, but I I thought this was all by grace. Yeah, it is. You don't deserve it. But I have to believe, right? Yeah. That's not the same as deserve. You have to believe, but then you get it for free. But you have to believe. And if you don't believe, it doesn't work. So, man, we can go a lot of directions there. Let's go on. How are we doing for time? I don't see. Where's our clock that we have up? All right, we don't have one. (laughs) Okay. All right. So I'm gonna I'm gonna finish here right away because we 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 need to to set our course here. The objective of our course is we need to believe, and for that to happen, you need to find out if you actually do believe. You need to be willing to find out how much you believe. Oh, what are you talking about? I've I've been a Christian since I was two. Beside the point. History, length of days, etc., etc., doesn't matter a single bit. It's your heart. Does your heart actually lean on? And nobody can tell by the style of your worship. Nobody can tell by the style of your service. Nobody can tell by your income level. Nobody can tell. Heart dependence upon God is a whole different thing. And none of the natural evidences of your faithful disposition 
Uh, we'll, we'll get into this. He said, well, yeah, but I come to church all the time. Yeah, I, I, I did a whole bunch of things out of unbelief as well. What do you mean? You, you went to church out of unbelief? Yeah, it's called uh, superstition. You know what superstition is? Yeah, if I don't go to church, things are going to go bad for me. I better go to church. The catalyst is not faith, it's fear. Oh, I'd like to sin. I'd like to do that. I'd like to do that thing. I better not. Now God is going to be really happy. Yeah, the catalyst for you not doing all those things was fear, not faith. What is the catalyst for what you're doing? That determines the value in, in God's economy of what that thing is. Not what it appears to be in the eyes of others, but what at its genesis, what brought it to life? Was it the spark of faith? In the life of God, that God is the one who resurrects the dead? Or was it something else? That's the journey we're on. So he says, Today, if you will hear his voice, do not harden your hearts as in the rebellion. For who, having heard... back Now he says, listen, don't do what they did. What did they do? Well, when they heard the message, indeed... Was it not with those who came out of Egypt led by Moses? Now with whom was he angry for 40 years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose corpses fell in the wilderness? Yeah, because unbelief is sin. Unbelief isn't, oh, just poor me, help me along. No, it's sin. Unbelief is sin. An evil heart of unbelief is a sin-inclined heart. I don't know why I keep falling into sin. Because you have an evil heart of unbelief. If God, confess, repent, let God deal with your heart. No, I'm a good Christian. I even tithed once. You're going to hide behind a few good deeds? This is not about a few good deeds whose origin can come from any number of sources. This is about a heart that's connected and devoted to a supernatural God who lives in the timeless realm and has everything at his disposal to pour out on the earth. Just one person who would fully believe God could change a nation. I'm not that guy right now. I'm trying to be. I'm not pretending I believe God more than I do. I am on a journey, just like you. So he says, And whom did he swear that they would not enter his rest, but to those who did not obey? So we see that they could not enter in because of unbelief. Whatever your destiny is, whatever the promises, whatever prophetic words were spoken over your life, whatever things you imagined and you saw that may or may not have been from God, but indeed if they have been from God and are from God, they will remain distant until unbelief is dealt with in our hearts. You know, the young 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 boy who was demonized and his father said when Jesus asked him do you believe he said I believe help my unbelief that was the most honest answer there could be I'm trying but I know there's a lot of fear at work in me fear is the evidence of unbelief so God's going to deal with our fear he's going to deal with all the the arsenal of tools that we use to not have faith. Because if we could 
Come into faith. Promises, 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 promises. The best thing the Lord ever did to me was isolate me in an equation where it's just him and I. And I kept blaming the church and blaming this system and that system and these people and those people. And the Lord said, "Uh, hello. You said you wanted to walk with me, Mark. And you know what the word says. It says, nothing is impossible with God and nothing is impossible to him that believes. So quit your whining. Quit blaming the world around you. Quit blaming the systems. Quit blaming what's wrong with the church and just do it already. Be the man whose heart I can change. By stop, and it starts here. Stop blaming everybody else and absorb the responsibility to be a man of faith. Because if you just, if you believe, I can change the whole world. If you believe. So Father, today we want to say no more excuses. No more blame shifting. No more accusations. No more blaming the church. No more resentment. No more he done, she done, he said, she did. In Jesus' name, Father, we want to own our destiny. We want to own the promise. We want, to, we want to come before you and say, God, whether we did it before or never did it before, we're on this journey. We want to be a people that believe. God, oh, the things that you could unfold in this city, in this town, in our lives, if we began full-heartedly to give ourselves to you, we want to be those people. We want to be those people. So worship team, why don't you come? We're going to close. and I'd like us to just sing a song and Chris is going to come and invite up the ministry team. And maybe you want to come and just say, you know what, this is a new day. I'm going to start believing God. I'm going to start dealing with unbelief. I'm going to stop, you know, the resentments, the fear in my life. I'm going to call it for what it is. I'm going to label it for what it really is. And we're not going to let God deal with this. I don't know what to do with it. You can say that. I don't know what to do with my fear. I don't know what to do with my unbelief. But God, I'm, I'm not hiding behind a masquerade, a mask, an illusion of faith that is not quite there. Thank you, Lord. So, Father, in Jesus' name, Lord, let's stand together. We ask, God, that uh, we could enter into a new kind of clarity, a new kind of devotional journey with you. We give you permission to uncover the dark things, to uncover what's in our heart. Lord, our intentions are sincere. Nobody questions that. We don't question that. But, Father, we want you to change us. Change our hearts. In Jesus' name.